following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Well, good evening. Welcome to those of you that are here at the church. And I want to uh, wish a special welcome to those of you that are online tonight. If you're on and have been waiting for us to start... Uh, I'd like to just introduce our uh, service with a few comments that I've made uh, similar to this over the years in our Good Friday services. This is our 40th, because this is our 40th year as a church, so it's a nice little anniversary uh, year this summer for us, and it's, uh, as I count, our number 11 service in the 7 o'clock hour in the evening. We used to have this always at noon, but as uh, things got more difficult, in the secular world for people to get off of school and work and stuff uh, at noon, why we just uh, slide, slid over to 7 o'clock, and here we are uh, at 7 o'clock. So it gives people a little easier opportunity to come if they have work or something like that. So, um, And this year, we're back together. You remember last year, we had no such service. Uh, well, we had some, I had something online or Jansen helped me from his place, or I don't know, I can't remember now, but uh, we did some, uh, some live stream that way, but we did not have this, uh, this service. So we can sing together this year, at least those of us that are here, and you sing with us too on, on, online there. Our purpose this evening is to gratefully worship our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, and, and we remember his one-time historical sacrifice, his death for our sins. By that death, he provided the one and only way by which we can have eternal life. Let me emphasize something, too, that I've mentioned before, and that is that uh, we, we know there's really nothing inherently meritorious about attending a Good Friday service. This is not like our Day of Atonement, um, although I suspect some of you, like me, have felt that as you think and reflect upon what our Lord did for us and what He went through, you can kind of feel the, you know, kind of a replay in a sense of the uh, being upset at the feeling of the injustice of it all. Think about what our Lord went through. And uh, you have here the most innocent human being who ever lived, punished in the most cruel way ever devised, all at the ordination of our God. Yes, sir. And Mike is just reflecting about the scenes from movies that depict the, uh, the passion, the suffering of Christ, and it's just awful. And as uh, movies get more advanced, the grotesqueness gets more... I suppose you could say realistic or embellished. Uh, and so it's just, it's an awful thing. And, and actually the scriptures handle that in a way that is very sensitive. If you read the scriptures, you get the sense of how gory and gruesome it was, but you don't get all of that, you know, minute upon minute of graphics and hour upon hour of all this suffering and everything. It's, it is something, but you know, as I was saying, I'm just reflecting on the kind of feeling I had in my heart sometimes today, just thinking about the injustice of it all, uh, and yet the gratitude that Christ went through that because he wanted to fulfill the Father's plan and provide a way of salvation for his people. It's just un, unfathomable how he could do that and how that all happened. 
But we, we don't come here with uh, just that morose or morbid feeling um, or, or, or we look at this day in service as if it's more important than, than any other day of the year or any other service, you know, check the church off of our list. You know, we do Good Friday, maybe uh, Easter and Christmas, and, uh, you know, we show up for a funeral once in a while in a church, and, and that's our, you know, our religious duty. We don't look at it like that. We want to be here. We want to remember our Lord. Um, but this is not a day of atonement. Jesus also is not right now dead, is he? We can kind of get into a mindset where we kind of pretend that, you know, he's in the grave. And then uh, Sunday we feel like he's out again. But he's, he doesn't go back there every, every Good Friday. He's done with that. It's uh, once for all, as we will see later this evening in our message so we simply remember his once-for-all sacrifice. And God, God tells us to gather regularly every week to, to commemorate the resurrection, and that's our desire. We, we want to do so. We, we want to, uh, to recognize God for his magnanimity toward us, the, the greatness of his soul toward us. And in a way, there was one bad Friday and many good Fridays. One bad Friday and many good Fridays. It was a good Friday because... I did not have to be crucified today or any other day. I did not have to die for my sins. But we have to be reminded of what our Lord did and therefore what he accomplished and how he accomplished it. The biblical record is clear. The historical record is clear. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph, the son of God, was grieved in the Garden of Gethsemane, betrayed by Judas and arrested, abandoned by his disciples, beaten by his captors through the evening and through the night and early morning, unjustly tried in a kangaroo court by the Jews, full of numerous false accusations and lies. He was condemned. He was delivered over to the Gentiles, to the Romans. He was tried twice before Pilate, tried before Herod, mocked by Herod's soldiers, scourged, mocked again by the Roman soldiers, forced to carry his cross, but because of the extreme damage that had been done to his body already. He was unable to carry that cross. He was crucified. He was hung on a cross by Roman soldiers around 9 a.m. He hung there for the morning hours and the afternoon hours until 3 o'clock, at which time he expired. During that time, he was mocked by his fellow prisoners. Remember, thief on the right hand and on the left, both initially started the morning mocking him, telling him to come down from the cross and save them. He was taunted and blasphemed by the religious leaders and by the crowds of passers-by. And he was buried by 6 p.m. or before in a rock tomb. Since Israel is about seven hours ahead of us, more or less, depending on the time zone changes, this occurred in our own time zone between 2 and 11 this morning. So... No special hour we come. We don't, we don't come at 11 o'clock. We used to do at noon. But there's nothing special about noon because uh, it's not the exact time of our Lord's uh, death and so on. But we worship a Savior who did something unique and powerful. At this hour, at this very hour, those many years ago outside Jerusalem, our Lord was sealed in a cold stone tomb lifeless, broken in body, absent in spirit. He had suffered the awful consequences of sin, 
But he had to remain in that dead state for some time to make it clear to the world that he was dead and that he had completed the task that God gave to him. He also remained in that state because in the Bible, uh, it was recorded that he told the people, if you want a sign, I'll give you a sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was in the heart of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for that same length of time. And so he did, and he accomplished that uh, for us on the cross and in the tomb. And then, of course, we look forward to Sunday when we will remember specifically his resurrection from from the dead. So those are my opening comments this evening. I would like to ask you to join me in prayer, and then we will sing a couple of hymns interspersed with some scripture reading tonight. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you with gratefulness in our hearts. We come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, that name above every name, the name which has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, sitting at your right hand, Uh, waiting until his enemies be made his footstool, at which time he will come and rule the world for a thousand years in his kingdom. And Lord, although we look forward to that great and glorious day when his throne is set in Jerusalem, we still right now can pause and give thanks to you and to him for a special work that was done those many years ago in Jerusalem and outside of the city gates in which he was hung upon the tree, As the scripture says, all those who are hanged upon a tree are accursed. And the scripture teaches us also that he was accursed for us, that we might not be accursed. And how we thank you for this great truth. Lord, for those here and those many that are online watching this evening, I pray that the realization of this will sink in as we look at the truth that he died for us. May you increase in our hearts the gratitude, the worship the spirit of thanksgiving, of humility before you, in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 15, God's word says here in verse 1, beginning there, immediately in the morning the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them. Whomever they requested, and there, was a, and there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. 
Then the soldiers led him away into the, into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe." Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthian, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by, when they heard him, heard that, said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he had cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who has also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, came, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he had found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and the Mary of mother of 
Joseph observed where he was laid. Thus is Mark chapter 15. I invite you now to join me in singing hymn number 315, turning your hymn books there, and we will sing together the Holy Heart, hymn number 315. Let's take our Bibles again and turn to Matthew chapter 27, please. Last year I had written down in my notes that I read in Matthew 27, but I did not read verses 45 to 66 for some reason. Maybe we read some other sections in the Gospels on this, but I thought we would pick up here this time. Not that I expected you all to remember that. But Matthew 27, please. Verse number 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, and think of the emotion of this when he said it, Eli, meaning the E-L is God, L, Elohim, And the I suffix is my. It's a first-person suffix, so my God. Not Elijah, as they later mistook. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split Why do you suppose that the text of Scripture tells us the direction of the tear of the fabric of the veil, top to bottom? And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. What a wonderful word. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Just imagine, if you would please, the courage that that took. Okay? That guaranteed, he, he was one of the men in the council, you know, that guaranteed he was now canceled. You know what I mean? From that body. Then Pilate commanded the body of Jesus to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. Remember, too, that he did not do that by himself. Who was his helper? You remember? A man named Nicodemus. Later on in another gospel, you read that. Check that out. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed, 
And Mary Magdalene was there, the other Mary, sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, so this would be in our calendar, our mind, tomorrow morning, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. So this was not a private piece of information. Everybody knew this. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And that is the last that we hear of that until Sunday morning, early, in Matthew 28. Tonight I'd like to share with you some thoughts that uh, come under the title, very simple title, He Died. He Died. Sunday morning, my title will be He Rose. But today, He Died. We're going to examine four New Testament passages tonight, just briefly. I'll spend the most time on the first one, which is in Mark's Gospel. And then I'd like to share with you a few others. And uh, the reason that I'm sharing these particular passages with you is not, um, I don't have a big, you know, equation of calculus behind this or anything. It's just that when I was studying, I stumbled upon an interesting search result in my Bible software this week. I was searching for the phrase, he died. And I found that it's very common in the Old Testament. Many people died in the Old Testament, and the phrase, he died, is often found there. But in the New Testament, in the New King James Version, there are only a handful of times where this phrase, he died, occurs. Two of those are from parallel passages where the Pharisees are uh, confronting Jesus and they're saying, uh, Jesus, there was this, this woman who married a brother and then he, had, he died and then his brother married her and then he died and another brother married her. And, and what they were doing was posing this ridiculous sounding situation to Jesus to try to undercut the doctrine of resurrection. And so those are two occurrences of this phrase, he died. One is the historical record of Jacob, who it says died after he went down to Egypt. That's in Acts chapter 7. And the two others are these, Romans chapter 6, verse 10. One of them we'll look at tonight, both of them actually, each in turn. It says in Romans 6, 10, for the death that he died, he died, again, to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is the last of the phrases in the New Testament that uses he died in the New King James, and it says this, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, the New International Version adds two more, actually adds uh, several more uh, phrases that translates this way. One in John 8.53, where it says Abraham, uh, he had died, um, and then it goes on with two other verses. One is in 1 Thessalonians 5.10. It says, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And then in Mark chapter 15, if you'd turn your Bible there to Mark 15 and verse 39. 
It says this, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. Let your eyes find those words. When the centurion who, saw, who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, truly this man was the Son of God. He was watching to see how this man died. Look at, uh, let me go back to verse 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Verse 38, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like that and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Okay, talking about how he died, how he cried out and then breathed his last. Okay, so... That you may find it looks a little different in your translation because I was reading from the New King James there, but it's from the NIV where we find this phrase, how he died. So he, first of all, he died in a remarkable way, okay? Point number one in my outline tonight. He died in a remarkable way. Now, in one way, in one sense, Jesus' death was just like anyone else's death. He was a human, a normal human being, he had a physical death. It resulted in him breathing his last and expiring. The spirit left the body. In a little while, the body was taken down from the cross. It was put into a tomb and thus was buried. The soldiers could see clearly that he was dead. They measured his vitals just like they did the criminal on the right and the criminal on the left, and they saw that he was expired. He was dead. And that is, in fact, perfectly well attested by history, as well, obviously, as by Christian theology. But in another way, his death was not a normal death. It was remarkable. Not only was there a miraculous happening at the temple with the veil being torn from the top to the bottom, signifying God initiating uh, open contact with humanity, not through a priesthood, but directly through Jesus Christ, but the Roman soldier who was assigned guard duty sensed something far from ordinary in the situation. I don't know, nobody knows how many deaths this guard had attended, but I suspect that it was a number. He was an expert at his trade, at his craft, at his assignment, perhaps we might better say. But he knew there was something odd. And, and he declared that it must be true what Jesus said, that of, of himself that I'm the son of God. He said, this, this man must have been the son of God. It was con he was convinced who Jesus was and perhaps became a believer at the foot of the cross. After all, compare his statement. Notice what he says in verse, at the end of verse 39, truly this man was the son of God. Compare that with what Peter said in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And Peter finally answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter confessed in his confession as the, as the soldier at the cross of the Lord Jesus. But let me, let me give you some more data that will help you understand why I say that his death was remarkable. Jesus' death, he died in a very odd fashion. What, it, what influenced the, 
the soldier to think that this was the Son of God? Well, I have five reasons why. Number one, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. If you know anything about crucifixion, you know that that would be the last thing that anyone would do on a cross. After hours of hanging, struggling to breathe, every breath, every how many breaths per, per, per minute, struggling to do that. And when you're near the end, there is no strength left. There is no breath left to cry out with a loud voice. This was abnormal for a person to do in the last moments of a crucifixion. The victim was typically as weak as could be, and crucifixion effected its, its ultimate demise by asphyxiation. There was no breath to cry out loudly. So this was abnormal. This was odd. Secondly, Luke 23 tells us that one of the sayings of Jesus was, Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. He commended his spirit into the hands of the Father. And these words were also abnormal. For Jesus to say that and, and, the, and the soldier to hear that, he, he did not hear most people on the crosses that he crucified say those words in the midst of their crucifixion. How many criminals said, like the right-hand man or the left-hand man, said, into, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit? Not many. In fact, probably none. This criminal Jesus, so to speak, was calling God his Father and releasing his spirit to God. Number three, Jesus breathed his last Look at verse 37, it says that after he cried out with a loud voice, he breathed his last. Cried out, it is finished, didn't he? And breathed his last. That's abnormal as well. John chapter 10 and verse number 17 says, uh, speaking, Jesus, recording Jesus' words, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it back up again. He released his life. He, he, he let go. He laid his life down for us. He died. Yes, it was awful. It was gory. It was gruesome. It was, it was torture. It was grueling. It was physically more than a human body could bear. But he laid down his life. This was... Odd, the soldier noticed. Not even the cruel instrument of crucifixion could extract the life of Jesus apart from his allowance of it to do so. Okay, so he cried out with a loud voice. He committed his spirit into the hands of God. He released his spirit. Number four, why the soldier would think that this was the Son of God? There was darkness over the whole land from noon until three o'clock. Mark 15.33 says, When the sixth hour had come, noon, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, until the time that Jesus died. This darkness was an expression of the wrath of God against sin born in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This wasn't just a coincidence that there was a uh, solar eclipse you know, for three hours, which doesn't happen, by the way, in, you know, most times. Um, this was a divine happening, darkness over the land. 
Just imagine. And then when he died, Matthew 27 told us there was a massive earthquake. Imagine that if you're standing at the cross. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice and he releases his spirit and the earth starts to move because the mighty maker has died on the cross. Just imagine. Imagine you were standing guard at the cross, maybe even participating in affixing the body of Jesus to that cross. That you were one of those soldiers. And then over the course of six hours, coming to the realization that this man is actually the Son of God. The darkness, the earthquake, the sayings of Jesus. Perhaps you hear the declaration of Jesus as you're one of the ones who nailed him there. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps you hear the loving way that Jesus turns over his mother to John's care and says, John, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. Perhaps you saw how Jesus forgave one of the criminals and said later that day he would be together with Jesus in paradise. Perhaps you heard the great cry, it is finished, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine yourself hearing all of that at the foot of the cross. These events really did occur. And imagine you were the soldier and ask yourself, how would I process these things? How would I have processed these events? He died. He died a remarkable death, Mark 15 tells us. Secondly, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 10. We must, because of the clock, hasten on. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 10. And here the scripture says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Likewise, Paul says, you need to also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Because as a Christian you are dead to sin, because you are in Christ who died to sin. The main idea is that, again, Christ died. But that he died, notice what it says, once for all. Now, that can be interpreted in two ways, one correct and one incorrect in this context, okay? This passage means that he died once for all time. It's one Greek word. It means one time, period, exclusively. It does not mean he died once for all people. Now, there's a sense we can pick that up from other verses of Scripture, but not this one. He died once for all time. It's a one-time event, eternally effective for the salvation of sinners. My friends, he's not still upon the cross. He does not die annually. His death cannot be reenacted every year because it was a one-time unique event. He died for one time only. It is done, finished. But it says also not only that he died, but that he died to sin. Now, you know, as I do, that Jesus did not sin. He did not commit sin. He did not have a sin nature. He did not have an inclination to sin, a desire to sin, a want to sin. He did not have a need to sin, as we do, because we're sinners, people, 
human beings, normal human beings in our unglorified bodies. Sin does not have power or sway over the Christian, however, that it once did. Christ took sin. He took God's wrath for sin. He broke sin. He disabled its power over people. So yes, Jesus did die because of sin, your sin. He also died for sinners, but he also died to sin, meaning he died concerning sin. He died in connection to sin, and that frees us from the stranglehold that sin has in our lives if we trust in him. So he died a very remarkable death. He died once for all time to sin. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 is our next uh, verse. And it says that he died so that we would live for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This love that Christ had compels us because we judge this, as Paul says, that he died for all, that we should not live for ourselves, but for him who died. And so he, he, want, he died so that we should live for him. This is the third phrase that he died in the New Testament regarding Jesus Christ. Make this a bit more personalized. Christ died for you so that you would not live for yourself, but you would live for him. Rather, you would live for Christ who died for you and rose again. Our lives should be marked by a Christ-likeness of character in our love and our service and our devotion to God and prayer and proclaiming the truth to other people. Like Christ lived, we should live. We should live for him. Now, the text here says in, in chapter 5, verse 15, he died for all. And we could get into a whole dissertation about what that means, that he died for all. In what exact sense did he die for all? Uh, and, and some people get a lot turned around in that you know, discussion, and I'm, I'm not going to get into that here. But regardless of your view on that, particular phrase, I think you should agree that Christ's death was sufficient for the sins of all humanity. There's not one thing that he could have done more in order to save any one more person. Besides that, as even the proponents of definite or limited atonement say, his death was sufficient for the sins of all the sinners of this world and of many worlds besides our own, if they hypothetically existed. Of course, they don't. But it does no good that Christ died for anyone or everyone or all or one if you reject him by refusing to trust in him. The benefits of his death are not passed to people who don't trust in Christ. And that faith that trusts in him is demonstrated to be real when one lives for Christ, not against him. So, based on this passage and what the Apostle Paul does, we do today, we urge you to be reconciled to God so that you would live for God instead of remaining in your sin and dying that way. So, he died a remarkable death. 
He died once for all to sin. He died so that we would live for him. And he died finally, number four, so that we would live with him. Not only for him, but with him. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again and verse number 10. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 10. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says this, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Okay, go back to verse 9. I should have read the whole context here a little better. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to wrath. He appointed us to live together with Jesus. Whether we die now before his coming or we die, we don't die, he comes, we, he raptures us up to be with him, doesn't matter. We will live together with him. That's what John 14 says. Remember that passage? If I go to, to prepare a place for you, I will come back and what? Receive you to myself. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and speaking of the rapture, just a chapter before, it told us in, in verse number 17, those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, that is those who preceded in death, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be what? With the Lord. So he died that we would live for him, but he also died that we would live with him, eventually in heaven. So whether we died now or later, we will live, if we are Christians, with him. Let me just pause and make sure we all understand what it means when I say we must put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If we believe in the gospel message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by those many eyewitnesses, then we would be saved. If we stand in that truth, we will be saved from our sins. It's all, the issue is all about believing in Jesus Christ. It's not about believing in God generically or, or saying, well, I believe there's a God, so I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Everybody believes there's a God or multiple gods, but... We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is co-equal with God. In fact, that's why he was put on the cross. You know that? His charge? Blasphemy. You, being a man, have made yourself out to be God. He died because he correctly claimed to be equal with God. Without his death, we would not be going to heaven we would not be going anywhere near Christ or God. We would not be with him for all eternity. We would only be suffering the wrath of our sin. Instead, however, Christ suffered so that we could receive salvation. This is the gospel, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. He died in our place uniquely once so that we would live for him and with him. He died a very unique death, but also a very human death. Otherwise, if we, if, we, if we don't believe in him, we live against him. We live apart from him forever. And so if you grasp that, you've grasped the, really the core element of the, 
of the Christian message, that believing in him, you will live forward with him, but if you don't believe in him, you will live apart from him and against him. But if you don't grasp that idea, then don't imagine yourself to really understand what Christianity is all about. Do you know what I mean? People say, well, Christians believe X, Y, Z, you know, and they say that. But I'm asking you, do you really grasp that? Do you grasp the gravity of the fact that the Christian message says that you are sinners? If you, and if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins and be lost? If you don't understand that, then, then Good Friday, Easter, Christmas, Christianity altogether is, is, a, is a black box to you. You would not understand what's inside of it. You have to understand these truths to understand these holidays is to understand what Christianity is really all about. And so tonight we come to remember that he died. He died. He was beaten and bruised and crushed and his life was squeezed out of his body so that we could live for him, we could live with him, so that we could be confident that our salvation is secure because there's only one death that had to be done that, to, to, to make any merit for our salvation, and that was Jesus Christ. And so we come to the end of our time together in the Word tonight, and we have just a couple more things to do before the 8 o'clock hour comes. But I trust that's helpful to you. Remember, he died and all that that entails. To God be the glory. Amen. We've come to the close of our service tonight. Just a couple of quick comments. I ask you to pray for the services on Sunday, 8.30 uh, in the morning. We have our Lord's Table service, Sunrise uh, Communion, if you will, Sunrise Easter service. I'll be speaking on the title, He Rose, that time. And then we'll speak on the resurrection at the 1045 service. Between those two services, we have invited those of you that would like to participate to a potluck breakfast. And uh, as I said before, we are aware that uh, some might be apprehensive about that. And if that's the case, why uh, you don't feel like you have to participate. But if you would like to participate, uh, and I know many of you would because... Uh, kind of a natural Christian instinct to be together and to share food and that sort of thing, which we've not been able to do largely for a year. Uh, we've just tested the waters here and there a little bit in, in uh, little, little uh, things at the church, but uh, nothing big. And so pray about that and, and everything will be well. Um, you might also spend some time reading the crucifixion and resurrection accounts in your Bibles uh, today, tonight, tomorrow, Sunday morning early or Sunday afternoon. Um, think about those things. And then finally, think about those disciples as we think about what is next for us to do tonight. Well, one of the passages said, and they watched until the end of those things, and it says, and they departed. And so we depart this evening. Think about the thoughts that they had. Think about the helplessness. Think about the, oh, the anger, the sense of injustice. Think about the grief of Peter who denied his Lord and did not receive 
a word of help or forgiveness from him. But of course, we know that on Sunday he did. He went to see, Jesus did, went to see Peter. But Peter had those things hanging in his head as he went to bed that Friday night. Probably didn't sleep at all the night before. Um, It's just amazing to think about what happened. So they departed and went to their homes. And we depart and go to our homes tonight. May God bless you, my friends. May he keep you. May he give in you a new appreciation and recognition of the fact that he died for you so that you could live for and with him. And he died in a very remarkable way, and he died once for all time, for all people indeed too, but for all time, one time. And that's where our salvation comes from, and we thank him for that. By one man's righteous act, many are justified including all of those that I'm looking at here, and I hope all that I'm seeing sort of online tonight. And uh, thank you for participating tonight, especially those of you that are online. Thank you for taking the time to participate. I hope that you've been blessed and that you've uh, learned something tonight, enjoyed uh, what you were able to experience afar off. And uh, may God bless your families as well. And may you have a wonderful resurrection weekend. Amen. Good night.